Emanuel Swedenborg's father, Jesper Svedbury, had a strong belief in the afterlife and our connection to spirits on the other side. This trust was put to the test, though, when both his wife and eldest son died within 10 days of each other. What was this like for eight-year-old Swedenborg? Here we are inside Off the Left Eye. This week, Curtis and I dig into Act 2 of our spirit story and learn about heaven directly from angels. Next, Dr. Jonathan Rose explores the value of connection versus control and the opportunity of our perpetual renewal. Then we travel to 1696, when at the height of summer, young Emmanuel experienced the death of both his mother and elder brother this week in history. Hey, Curtis. I'm back. We got it. It's time for like the rest of the story. It is. And we are in act two. So glad to have you here joining me for our explorations of these spirit stories. And to recap for people from act one. So in this current spirit story that we're in, it began with some spirits in the afterlife. We don't know how long they've been there, really. They're just called spirits this time, not newcomers. And but they're like, a few, a handful of them that are together and they're all on their knees, Swedenborg says, praying for angels to come help them make sense of these differing views of truth that they're hearing from so many different people, um, trying to make sense of like, what's really true? And as things work in the afterlife, they finish praying and some angels appear right away. And these angels tell them give them, first of all, this like immediate practical advice that I find is advice we can take in this world, even if, you know, not in the spiritual world, which is they say to just read, read the word and believe in the Lord and you will see the truths that are to be part of your faith and your life. So it's just like that. Those are your marching orders. Did we, did they say that last time? Yeah, they did. They did. I okay. My, <laughs> my, my memory recall is not so great because that's really fascinating. Yes. They, like, you'll see the truths. It almost sounds like there are there's a whole suppl- universal supply of truths, but there's certain ones that are going to yes. go to make up each individual faith. I know that are going to be a part of your faith and going to help you in your life. That's very cool. Wow. Yes. And yeah, like custom made to order, you know, like... The Lord and the angels know what's going on in your life, and they're going to supply you with exactly like sort of the spiritual nutrition you need. If you read the word and believe in the Lord, that's what they say. How much time do we spend trying to impress on each other that your faith needs to look like mine? Yeah, right. But that's not maybe what's up. Right. It's more like, how is the word helping you in your life? Maybe that's the question we should be asking each other, you know? Like, where has the word spoken to you lately? Rather than like, what do you believe? And then what should I believe? Yeah, man, what an interesting tightrope. Because there's there's things that are really helpful to me. And I think, ooh, everybody's got to have this particular idea that's useful to me. But I I put it, you want to make sure it's accessible to everyone. But just know that that's not going to be part of the master plan for some people's faith as built by God. 
it seems like for one, it's like, well, you can go to the word and read and find truths that are going to help you in your life. But then also uh, in heaven, at least, there is sort of this core spiritual reality that is sort of divine truth itself. And here we're going to tell you about it. Yes, absolutely. And all those other truths have to orbit around whatever they're about to tell us, I'm sure. Right, right. So that's interesting to keep in mind. Okay, so let's, here's what they say in Act 2. They say, this is the angel speaking, allow us, however, to list some teachings that learned clergy have taken out of the realm of the intellect because they're unaware that there are two ways of understanding, a worldly way and a heavenly way. When the Lord enlightens people, he lifts up our worldly way of understanding If we have closed our intellect for religious reasons, however, the heavenly way of understanding is closed, and then we see nothing more in the word than a blind person would see. We have seen many people of this type fall into pits from which they did not rise again. (laughs) So that's sad. But it's starting to get at this, like, maybe it's when you're reading the word for how it applies to your life, it opens up this heavenly way of understanding that maybe is kind of more universal, you know, which I think they're going to be getting into. So for the sake of illustration, let's take examples of such teachings. Surely you are able to understand what goodwill is and what faith is. Maybe. (laughs) Goodwill. Presumptuous. Right. (laughs) Goodwill is treating our neighbor well, and faith is having accurate thoughts about God and about the essential teachings of the church. Therefore, people who treat others well and think properly, that is, who live a good life and believe the right things, are saved. So that, that sounds pretty like sort maybe a little superficial and but just like, yeah, okay, that's true. It's like, it's great to hear it. You're not blowing my mind, but it's great to hear right. it. And the English spirits replied that they did indeed understand those things. So now the angels go a little bit deeper. They say, First of all, they've just said what you need to have to be saved, which is live a good life and believe the right things. But now they completely sort of turn that on its head and say, or go a little like a level deeper. In order to be saved, the angels went on, you have to practice repentance from your sins. Those who do not practice repentance remain in the sins they were born with. The practice of repentance is to not will evils because they are against God. It involves examining yourselves once or twice a year, seeing your evils, confessing them before the Lord, begging for his help, no longer doing them, and launching into a new life. More and more, as you do this and believe in the Lord, your sins are forgiven. This is such a great, simple definition of this practice of repentance that is so core. And if you take in what he just said, Examine yourself, first of all, once or twice a year. Doesn't sound like too tall of an order. It's not unreasonable (laughs) in thinking. I know we're all busy, but do it once in October (laughs) and once in May. There you go. Seeing evils, confessing them before the Lord, begging for help, no longer doing them, and launching into a new life. And for anyone potentially listening, that sounds like a pretty good digest of the 12 steps as I know them, which Mm, is not a coincidence, I think. And it's just so, again, so practical, but that that is what that in order to be saved. So somehow that's the bedrock of living a good life and believing the right things. Is that like, how are you applying these teachings to life? Oh man. Yeah. And there's, there's, I mean, 
there's a healthy to do in there, which if you embark on it is probably can get to be some work or something, but there's not a lot of real technical knowledge in there. It's, it's just stuff you, you probably already had a sense of, but it's in that, but that, that that's the most important thing. Yes. So some from the group said, we understand this. And this also tells us what forgiveness of sins means. So like, great. The group then asked the angels to tell them more, particularly on the subjects of God, the immortality of the soul, regeneration, and baptism. And so a little spoiler here, we're going to get God and the immortality of the soul in this act, but then it's going to be in act three that we go into what the angels say about regeneration and act four to hear what they say about baptism. So All right. here's what they say. Oh, it's so interesting. We will not say anything you don't understand, the angels replied, which is really, that's like angel enlightenment rules, <laughs> which connects to one of the <laughs> gems that Jonathan talked about in one of our previous episodes of like angels sort of have to put things in terms of our understanding. So he says, we will not say anything you don't understand, the angels replied, since otherwise what we say might fall like rain on a sandy place and on seeds there that are bound to shrivel up and die no matter how much water they get from heaven. But they go on anyway. On the subject of God, the angel said, all who come into heaven are allotted a place there and experience eternal joy on the basis of their idea of God. One's idea of God is what rules universally in everything having to do with worship. An idea of God as a spirit, if a spirit is believed to be like ether or wind, is a meaningless idea. An idea of God as a human being is a true idea. God is divine love and divine wisdom and all the attributes that go along with them. A human being has love and wisdom. Ether and wind do not. The idea of God that we have in heaven is the idea of the Lord, our Savior. He is the God of heaven and earth, as he himself taught. If your idea of God becomes like ours, then we will be able to be together. And as the angel said these things, the faces of the English spirits shone. So that's fascinating. I just want to pause there and get any thoughts you have about that idea of God. Thing. Yeah, well, I know that an earlier their prescription for life was part of it was to shun evils as sins against God. Right. But this is I'm not going to do these bad things because it's against God. So I guess in order to have a concept of that, you've got to have a sense of who God is. Mm-hmm. And so we are I'm not going to do this thing because I know it is against this person. This yeah. you know, super powerful great person um i i feel like that those two tie directly together so then the angels finally they touch on immortality they say on the subject of immortality of the soul they said human beings live to eternity because they are capable of forming a partnership with god through love and faith absolutely everyone is capable of forming a partnership like this if you think a little more deeply about it you can understand that this capability is what allows the soul to be immortal. So that follows in sequence. Like maybe they have already developed that as some kind of packet of of newcomer orientation. Yeah. (laughs) But also there's this recurring theme of go 
go check it out for yourself. In the beginning, the first thing out of their mouths is, well, you know, go read the word and that's going to be great. You'll, right. you'll figure it out. You'll be on the right and track. Then, yep. Yeah. Right. And then, then here at the end, they said, think about this more deeply and you'll see. So they're definitely instructing, but it's, it's interesting that there's always this hand in hand with, we're not worried about you going out and, and checking yourself. That's right. And they say you can be able to figure this out for yourself, which I'm sure is different than those people they were talking about earlier who are just saying like, this is the truth. You need to believe this. And then these other people are like, no, this is the truth. Yeah. So. It's, a, it's like a, it's a, there's a love and a freedom there, but it's almost like a, a confidence mm-hmm. too. So we've gotten some good information here from these angels in Act 2, and there's more to come. We're going to hear what the angels teach us about regeneration next time so yeah we can look forward to that and also for anyone listening tomorrow catch the new content on the off the left eye youtube channel when it premieres at 8 p.m eastern time so always premiering 8 p.m eastern and i hope you curtis will catch up with jonathan and me when we premiere where swedenborg was this week in history at the end of the show Yep, I'll head out and set the AC. All right, thank you, thank you. It was a little hot last time. All right, see you then. See ya. Hey, Jonathan, welcome. Thank you. So great to get to meet up with you and have our weekly NCE spotlight where we get to shine a light on the discoveries being made in the work of the NCE. And I know I've said this before, but it also feels like we come and get to bask in the light of the discoveries being made in the work of the NCE. So either way, thanks. It's so fun to be able to share these little nuggets um, and be able to explore them with you. And it struck me today that uh, I know what I'm about to read to you, but you have no idea what I'm going to say. <laughs> I really don't. So I genuinely you, don't. You, you have no clue what <laughs> what this is going to be. So it's kind of fun to hear your just really immediate reaction uh, really to these is, passages yeah. and explore them with you. So that's that's fun. As I sweep through these passages, one thing that's been striking me lately is that so often in Swedenborg's works, uh, you see this dramatic juxtaposition of dark and light. And sometimes the darkness is is very dark and kind of convicting or something. And uh, But then the light shows you something so beautiful. And I thought this was a passage like that, that although it has sort of an amazing critique of self-love... Mm-hmm. which you might think, and self-love doesn't mean taking care of yourself. It's really, I mean, narcissism is one word, or um, self-centeredness is a is a good expression. I think that's used in this passage. Um, yeah. Uh, it That feels good to us by nature, I think. But mm-hmm. Swedenborg really highlights in this passage how destructive it is and what exactly it is that's destructive about it. Uh, So this is Secrets of Heaven 2027, subsection 2. Great. All right. I'm here to learn. People who take credit for their good deeds 
want to be saved by their own righteousness, not the Lord's. (laughs) (laughs) That's an interesting lead in there. Their lack of charitable faith, that is charity, can be seen from the fact that they put themselves ahead of others and therefore focus on themselves rather than others, unless those others serve them. (laughs) Any others who refuse to do so incur either their contempt or their hatred. So Hmm. self-love cuts them off from other people rather than connecting them Mm -hmm. and destroys what is heavenly, or in other words, mutual love, which is the foundation of heaven. I'm dying to talk about that, but I'll continue with the passage. (laughs) We'll come back to it. (laughs) Heaven itself abides and consists in mutual love, as does all its good fellowship and like-mindedness. Anything in the other world that destroys unity violates the pattern of heaven itself Mm. and consequently aims at the destruction of the whole. So you might not realize it, but that's actually Mm. inimical to the whole of heaven. The whole thing is built on this unity. That is what people are like when they take credit for the deeds of their life and claim righteousness as their own. Mm. He goes on, the other world contains many people of this type. Their aura is one of self-absorption and so is destructive of any thinking that does not focus on them as something like minor deities. (laughs) When a large number of them gather in one place, the atmosphere is so divisive that it consists of pure enmity and hostility. Oh, wow. That is quite a passage. Yes. And again, it's painting a dark picture and feeling, oh, I I felt like I was just, you know, I don't know. I'm okay, aren't I? Uh, But showing (laughs) that the... The uh, that has deep, nasty roots. That that feeling of uh, our uh, taking credit and our own righteousness. You know, puffing ourselves up. I was very struck that it's such a concern of the text that you don't want people to be cut off from each other. The whole yeah. thing is about connecting. What a key! What an insight into what heaven is. And how destructive, no wonder self-love is considered such an evil in Swedenborg's works, because it's like poison to the whole heaven thing that's trying to happen. Wow. I feel like there's so many things I take away from it, but one is it's such a useful practical tool for like self-reflection, which is when I notice some, you know, reaction in myself, or if I'm in a certain mood or doing something, then it's like, it's such an easy clarifying thing to just ask, like, is this forwarding connection or is this forwarding, you know, control, like <laughs> me trying to control things right. and, and just, you know, with everything I can muster in my being, trying to resist that desire for control and try to serve or act in a way that is forwarding connection, uh, you know, you're, you're going against the tide, and so it's like any little bit you can do to resist that and act towards connection is so huge. When you get a whole bunch of people who feel superior to all the other vermin or, or whatever it is and mm-hmm. that they're 
deserving of this great attention, that they should be the center of everything. And and uh, that word divisive was so powerful to me at the end there that when a large number of them gather in one place, the atmosphere is so divisive yes. that it consists of pure enmity and hostility. <laughs> oh, yeah. that Swedenborg got to see that in chilling detail in the spiritual world. I have a, another passage, uh, a little bit shorter, from Secrets of Heaven 2044. And it's one of those things where sometimes some b- bizarre little point turns out to have such an amazing meaning. And in this case, it was the bizarre little point. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, a lot is made of this ritual of circumcision, that this will be part of the covenant, mm-hmm. you know, for the for the males of, of the people. And, uh, and it was very important that it was supposed to be done on the eighth day. Now, mm-hmm. why, you know, what is that all about? So Swedenborg's talking about this, and he says that the meaning of the eighth day, in effect, is that you've been through a week, and the eighth day starts the new week. So it's about renewal. It's also about purification and so on. So let me read this mm-hmm. uh, passage here that's quite short, but it was not that the circumcised would then enter a pure state or that circumcision would purify them. Rather, since the eighth day symbolized purification, just as circumcision did, it meant that they had an obligation to become purer all the time as if they were constantly starting afresh. Mm. That's what it means that this was commanded. And it's one of those instances, I can think of a number of them, but in in Christianity, baptism is a similar one, where the way Swedenborg explains these rituals, the rituals are one and done. Right. Uh, But the thing that it stands for is ongoing. It keeps cycling around. And so it was fascinating to me that it's not just that this will happen, but that it's an obligation. Sometimes, honestly, I feel like, aren't I done yet? I've tried to change. Can't I just sort of coast from here? (laughs) (laughs) But this obligation to become purer all the time as if they were constantly starting afresh, all captured in that simple little detail of this rather bizarre ritual that would happen on the eighth day. I just think that's amazing. Yeah. The eighth day, I really love the starting afresh because I feel like that reminder, it can feel similarly for our own, you know, day-to-day practice of trying to, you know, do well and live from love and everything. It can feel like we do always trip up, fail, you know, stub our toe or whatever in various ways. And it can feel so to feel like, all right, well, it's the end of the week. It's just done, you know, (laughs) I'm I'm done for. But there's always that eighth day, you know, always the first day of the next week and that there's that, you know, uh, calling to start afresh and really believe that you have that constant invitation. There's going to be another week and you're going to get another chance 
to keep moving forward because actually there's a lot of joy in that process of kind of cyclical improvement and and, uh, constantly starting afresh. That is awesome. So great. Well, as usual, this has been just so filling and satisfying to get to hear these thoughts from you, Jonathan. Thanks so much. Very welcome. What fun. Yeah. And hey, let's have some more fun if you'll join me and we'll go see where Swedenborg was this week in history. I'd be happy to. All right. Here we go. Hey, Curtis and Jonathan. Hello. Hey there. So glad to have you join me here where we're going to travel back in time. And this time we're going even further than our last episode. Last time we talked about Swedenborg getting to be uh, when he first started at the University of Uppsala and then when he graduated. And now we're going back into the 17th century to 1696, which is when Swedenborg's mom died. So some context, Swedenborg was the third child of Jesper Svedberg, and his mom's name was Sarah uh, Bame was her maiden name. And, uh, and so he had an older brother and sister, and they were Albrecht and Anna. And so it was this week in history on June 17th, 1696, that Swedenborg's mom died of a fever of some kind, and she was only 30 years old. And 10 days later, Swedenborg's older brother, Albrecht, died of the same fever, of the same illness. And so Swedenborg was just the tender age of eight years old. And in a matter of two weeks, he had lost his mom and his brother. Wow. Something that's probably useful for, to know for people is that Jesper, his father, was this bishop in, you know, minister and bishop in the Swedish Lutheran Church. He had a very strong trust and sense in the reality of the afterlife. And so Swedenborg was raised with that idea. So even losing his mom and brother, I think there was this strong sense of they're, they've just crossed over into the afterlife and we have a connection and I'm going to see them again someday. Um which is which is comforting, and yet I'm just sure that just rocked Swedenborg's world and their oh, whole yeah. family's world. Yeah. I mean, you can, it doesn't matter how strong your foundation is in that, uh, that it hurts losing people. It does. So Jesper, Swedenborg's father, did end up actually remarrying in within a couple of years to another Sarah, Sarah Bergia, who also, this might be nice for people to know that uh, she she was somebody who Swedenborg genuinely developed a sense of connection with and even wrote that um, she was truly a mother to him. So uh, he got to have his angel mother and his this world mother and uh, had those had both of those strong connections. I'm having the mental image of a sapling in the woods and suddenly these trees that are much larger uh, fall down and there's Mm. open canopy. I mean, it must have been unsettling to say the least Mm -hmm. that the only people older, you know, he used to be 
fifth, I mean, mom and dad, older brother, older sister, and he's number five. Right. And all of a sudden he's moved up to number three. And the most significant thing for his life about that was that Sweden works under a system of primogeniture, which it's that sort of strange system yeah, that some people had that. back then where the firstborn male inherits, like they get way more than anybody else in the family. Mm-hmm. You know, rather than divvy it up or give it to the girls and the boys or whatever, the, that, that firstborn male uh, gets a, a lot on their shoulders. They also get a lot of responsibility. So when his family was ennobled, that's why he became the person who had a seat in the House of Nobles and, and in the yes. uh, as part of the Swedish government. If his brother had lived, that would have been his brother. Yes. But he had that position put on him by uh, this death of his older brother, and it's just unimaginable. Must have been scary too if your if your mother and your older brother can't survive this thing. How do you know you're going to last yeah. through the week? Um, totally. Uh, it must must have been a very scary time, I would think. That's so interesting. I was wondering that too, sort of providentially, Swedenborg's place in the world through having that little uh flip that kind of reminds me, you know, of the biblical stories of like, uh, you know, Cain and Abel or um, Jacob and Esau, you know, having kind of the second born take the first place, even though, you know, it's just two brothers, they're not twins, but um, just that That's unexpected true. I of that. flip. Um, yeah, huge ripple effect, because whenever we're Talking about Swedenborg, you always mention how he was a member of the Swedish government. And a couple episodes ago on this podcast, we were talking about how his place in the government allowed him to defend his writings more effectively and put him in the circles where he could go and get an audience with the king. So it certainly had a huge impact on his theological writings and where they went. That's right. And I also think the sheer finances, I know that his stepmother was very generous to him and and loved him. And so uh, it's partly her coming into his life that enabled him to publish these volumes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very costly. Wow. Wow. I mean, it's like such a heartbreaking, like this week really is such a, mo- a huge turning point of shift in trajectory for Swedenborg's young life, but that those two things would just completely change not only, like you say, his financial stability going forward and then also his role in government in the world like that. That just happened right when he's eight. And then you you just wonder how that kind of affects his own reflection on his life throughout his whole life, you know, thinking back to that and, and what a change it made for him. Well, I hope there... I hope uh, his moms are proud of what he did in his life. And uh, but it, just thinking about anyone being an eight-year-old kid like that, uh, it just makes you realize how important every single little person is, and yeah. and that that we can get caught up in a whole bunch of stuff. But if I think back to like, oh, you wanting that eight-year-old who lost the people you love to to get him back somehow, that's that's like the greatest thing. So, yeah. I was also struck by the dating of the event. Um, I've had the pleasure to be in Sweden at midsummer, the summer solstice, and they have these fantastic midsummer festivals 
it's pretty dark in the winter and there's a lot of light uh, in the summer. The sun hardly goes down for an hour and a half or something and rises again. And and there's mm. tremendous celebration at that height of the year. And so to think about this terribly sad thing happening at the nicest, most beautiful part of the year is just hard, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, that must have stayed an association for him. So sweet to hold Emanuel Swedenborg with tender care, his little eight-year-old self who lost his mom and his brother and, you know, thankfully had had some good support from his dad who knew about, you know, who trusted in the reality of the afterlife. And then, boy, did that, you know, bear out for Swedenborg <laughs> later on in life. So getting that comfort, even if it came decades later. And, yeah, so... And and lived on to be 84 years old. Yeah. Had a long life. Didn't die of any fevers in that time. <laughs> no. So. Oh, well, thanks so much, Curtis and Jonathan. As always, it is a pleasure to talk to you both. Thanks for having us. Heartwarming. We close out each episode of the podcast with a Swedenborg-inspired song. If you have a Swedenborg-inspired song you'd like us to share, email us at offthelefteye at gmail.com. Submit your song that way, and if you give us permission, we would love to showcase your Swedenborg-inspired music. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of Inside Off the Left Eye. You're the best audience a podcast could ever have, so thank you for listening. Subscribe to the podcast to never miss when a new episode comes out, and consider supporting our work with a donation. Go to offthelefteye.com donate to make a contribution. Your support helps the ideas in our content reach and nourish thousands of people every week around the globe. So this week for our Swedenborg-inspired song, we are picking up the thread of what the angels taught the spirits in our spirit story. We're going to share another song by Jonathan Rose from his album Clear Shining After Rain. The angels taught the spirits that repentance is at the core of a living faith and how the Word gives us the truths that are to be part of our faith and life. You know, what we need to do to open the door of our minds to heaven. The Lord says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And this song is a reflection of what it's like trying to open that door. I'm Chelsea Odner, and I look forward to being with you next time we're inside Off the Left Eye. But until then, here's The Door by Jonathan Rose. Enjoy the music. spirit first awoke there was darkness all around it was painful and I was lonely and feeling down you know I wanted 
something different But I did not know what to do So I cried out in the darkness And prayed to you Now the darkness stayed just as thick But the thought grew more and more That somewhere in this darkness must be a door
Push on that door, cause I don't 